hear these words from the book that we love. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, so there are some similarities between John Alexander and me. There are some differences. One of our big similarities is that we both cite C.S. Lewis probably too much. Um, in the fourth book in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, The Silver Chair, it's an, it's an, it follows an adventure undertaken by Jill Pole and Eustace Scrub, um, and they start the journey in Aslan's country, which is like kind of this mountainous, heaven-like region in the world. And Aslan, he sends them out, really he sends Jill out particularly, uh, to go on a mission into the confusing world of Narnia to go rescue the missing prince. And before he sends her, before he, he blows her on a wind into Narnia, before he does that, Aslan teaches Jill, he gives her these four signs. Um, and I won't go into details about the signs. Uh, if you want to, you can read the book if you want to find out what they are. But there are these four very specific instructions of do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And before he, and he really wants to make sure that Aslan wants to make sure the, the God, the Christ character in the story, he wants to make sure she knows them, make sure she's got them down word for word. And this is what he tells her at the beginning of her mission. He tells her, remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lie down at night. And when you wake in the middle of the night, and whatever strange things happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. And secondly, I give you a warning. Here on the mountain, I have spoken to you clearly. I will not often do so down in Narnia. Here on the mountain, the air is clear and your mind is clear. As you drop into Narnia, the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind. And the signs which you have learned here will not look at all as you expect them to look when you meet them there. That is why it is so important to know them by heart and pay no attention to appearances. Remember the signs and believe the signs. Nothing else matters. And you kids, you may have a sense of why 
I'm opening this way, opening with this story of Aslan sending a kid on a mission into the world. You guys right now are very much at a starting point in your life in the church. Uh, you're, you still live with your parents, but you're still early on at a starting point in your life in the world. And this passage that I just took us through this, this morning in Proverbs 3, it was also written for someone around your age. I don't know if you knew that. It was written uh, for a, from a dad to his son, the dad being King Solomon, the king of Israel, written to his son. And we call it a, a book of wisdom, uh, which is one of the, it's one of the, the genres, not one that Charlie referenced, but it's a genre in, in the Bible. It's a book about how to follow God in the world and how to have a full life in him. And like Aslan sending out Jill, Solomon gave these words from Proverbs 3 to his son so that his paths would be straight in a confusing world. And guys, the messages of these verses are, are really simple. And I'm going to go through each one and spend a bit of time on each one, but it, it's pretty basic. God says, you do something now, you do now. And then the second part in each of these sets is you get something later. You do now, you get later. And we'll go through these one by one. Turning aside from the kids and towards cynical grown-ups in this room like me. Uh, these verses, uh, I don't know about you guys, this is sometimes how I respond to these verses. They seem like the most vanilla, boring Bible verses ever, don't they? Like, these, if you're new to the faith, if you're investigating the faith, you're like, this is what I imagined the Bible would sound like. It's kind of verses like this. Like, don't these verses feel like Bible verses that would be hung in, like, a grandparent's wallpaper-filled, overly decorated bathroom? Like, doesn't that, don't, doesn't that how these, these Bible verses sound? They feel fluffy, without substance. And I want to persuade you all this morning uh, that these verses are not fluffy at all. And they actually really wrestle with the deepest, hardest things of life. And here's how I'm going to do that with you all, is I'm going to give, you, give us a set of goggles that we're going to look at these verses through. Um, here's a, here's a, a reference. I'm going to call them negative goggles. Um, here's a, a reference uh, that us old farts in the room will get that the kids won't. I don't know if you guys have ever seen like photograph negatives, looked at film, where it's like the, the pictures, the colors are exactly flipped. So what's light is dark and what's dark is light, vice versa. I'm, what our goggles are going to do as we look at each of these proverbs is we're going to like, be like a negative film to see the opposite. And I think when we do that, you'll see that we learn some things about us and about life that the author of the, the author of, um, that Solomon understands. And it will, we'll see that, that uh, there's a lot of wisdom and depth and timelessness to these words when we look through them that way. But, so instead of just keeping, to continue talking about how we're going to do it, let's do it. So, Let's get into the passage. Uh, verses 1 and 2, read with me again. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace. They will add to you. Again, kids, we've got the do. There's a do now and there's a get later. Do now. Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. That's the command that they're call, called to do now. Let your heart keep my commandments. Where do you guys keep the things that are the most precious to you, the most precious things you own? Where do you keep them? Uh, for me, I keep them in, uh, in the, I keep some important, boring adult documents in a safe, you know, like my birth certificate, social security card, things like that. 
Uh, I also keep, but I keep a lot of important things to me in my nightstand. Letters that I've received from loved ones that have meant a lot to me. Um, uh, my Bible I keep in my nightstand. Um, my Nintendo Switch I keep in my nightstand. Uh, I gotta look from, from that one. Uh, I keep these things close so I won't forget them. They're within reach. They're close by. God calls us, this is the do now in this first couplet, in this first set. He calls us to keep his commandments even closer to us than the things that we keep closest to us in our, in our house, closer than our nightstands or under our pillows. He calls us to keep his words in our hearts. That's the do now in this passage, is to treasure the word of God, the Bible, the words of Jesus, the commands to love God and love one another. Keep these things as close to you as you can. What's the get later? Get later. It says, for the length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. God is promising to you guys and to us here. If we treasure his word, we will live a fuller, richer life. That's what peace means in the Bible. Not just absence of conflict, but fullness of life. I would encourage you guys to ask your parents, does a full life mean an easier life? I think they'll tell you no. And grown-ups in the room, this simple teaching from Scripture, I would ask you, do you believe this? That adoring God's word, clinging with it as to yourself as close as you possibly can, do you believe in your heart of hearts that it will lead to the fullest, richest life? Fuller than whatever lives the world has to offer. Do you model that to your children or to other children in this church who aren't your own? That's the get later. Let's put on the goggles. Let's, let's test out the goggles I was talking about. So if you put the, the negative goggles on us, what does this passage, what does these, these two verses say about us? If we're being commanded in this passage to remember, then what this passage is saying, if you look at the net through the negative goggles, it's saying that God knows that our automatic tendency is to forget. Jill Pohl, in the, the opening, in Aslan, with, uh, after Aslan sends her out with these signs that he's made her memorize, repeat over and over, within 30 minutes of her getting to Narnia, she forgets the first sign. Is there anything more human more common to all of our experience than to forget. How often do we rage against God for what he hasn't given us and forget what he has? Negative goggles on again. What does it say about life? If God is promising fullness of life as the get later, perhaps even length of life, richness of life, then assumed in that is that this author knows that on our own devices, left to our own devices, our lives are short and empty and meaningless. The author of this knows that we will die, perhaps soon. Do you see how when we put the negative goggles on and look at each of these sets, that the Bible grapples with the brutality and reality of life just as much as a nihilist does? Do you see that? The next verses, three and four. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. 
I'm not going to be able to do the goggles for every single one. I'm going to go through some of these sets a bit faster than others. The do now here is to keep steadfast love and faithfulness close to you. Um, this one's not about remembering. Um, it is about keeping things close to your heart. It's about, this is about doing. This is a, a, a restatement of the command to love God and love people. Jesus says in the New Testament that the entire Old Testament hangs on those, these two commandments, to love God and love people. Um, here's a, a John Alexander story from my own life. Uh, my first one-on-one meeting with John uh, would have been in like 2011, 12 years ago now. It's crazy. Um, and I was in a really angsty, anxious, de- kind of depressed uh, college student at the time. And uh, the school where I went, like, I didn't have an internship lined up the following summer. So I was like, I thought my life was, was at an end. It was very melodramatic. Um, and I met with him, and I told him that I was feeling... I was feeling useless. And John told me something that was, like all good pastoral wisdom, not terribly original, um, but really simple, really profound, that I've carried with me to this day. Um, you know, he asked me, what would, what would a useful Stephen look like? And I said, well, having a job, have, being able to provide for a family one day. And he's like, I think you know better than that. And he said, a useful Stephen is the Stephen who loves God and loves his neighbor. And that's really stuck with me. And I would say that to you kids, too. A useful, or you find the adjective that you want to have about what kind of life you guys want to live. The kind of Eloise, the kind of Charlie, the kind of Graham that you want to be is the kind of Eloise, the kind of Charlie, the kind of Graham who loves God and loves people. That's the do now. Get later, the pastor says, you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Success could also just mean good reputation. It doesn't mean like having mega mansions, uh, but it means that if you live loving God and loving others, there will be men and women uh, who are worthy of respect who will, lo- who will respect you. There's a promise there. Verses 5 and 6. Let's mix things up and uh, put the negative goggles on first for verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Negative goggles on. What does this say about us when we look at the negative of this picture? We tend to trust in the Lord with some of our heart, but not all. We trust not in his understanding, but our own understanding. We walk through our lives without acknowledging God when you put the negative goggles on. You can see the author knows that's our default. We neglect to look at God as we look at our own lives. We tend to look at God as a cosmic genie who will just give us what we want. When we make decisions or when we determine our life philosophies, we rely on our own experience and our own reason before trusting in the ways and words of God. Keeping those negative goggles on, what does it say? If God promises to make, our, to make straight our paths, then assumed, when we have the negative goggles on, is that our paths in life are naturally confusing and dangerous, especially when we rely on ourselves. So what is the do now and the get later here? Do now. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him. 
the invitation here, the command, is as you guys make the biggest and the smallest decisions in your lives, God invites you to turn to him. He invites us to pray, to ask him for wisdom. My biggest regret, guys, with catechism this year was that we didn't pray enough. I wish we would have spent more time in prayer. What's the get later? He will make straight your paths. This doesn't mean that your life, that you'll be, it'll be more fun or more famous, but your paths, your way in life, if you trust in the Lord with all of your heart, with all, all, your, understanding, all your understanding before him, it'll make your paths straighter, narrower, and simpler. Verses 7 and 8, we're, we're, we're plowing here. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The do now, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. This is an invitation. Do now, live now. Be humble. Fear the Lord instead of others' opinions of you. Not of your classmates, primarily. Fear the Lord. And the get later, this is an interesting one. Did you guys catch this? It said it'll be, it'll be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Like what? Like your, your bodies will actually feel better if you do this? If you guys have ever, well, you guys are really good kids, so you probably have never done this, unlike me. If you have ever lied to your parents or you've done something that you know you really shouldn't have, you may know what, it, this, what this verse is getting at. Have you never noticed that when you've done something you're not supposed to and you're trying to hide it, it almost like physically hurts? Like it, almost, like it hurts in your stomach that you're do, you know you're doing something you're not supposed to? God here is promising that if we allow ourselves to be low, to be humble, if we accept that we're not better than others, that we need God, and if we stay, stay away from hurting ourselves and hurting others, we will actually feel better for it. We will feel more free. That's the get later in, this, in those two verses. Verses 9 and 10. Read with me. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Uh, guys, the do now here is honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Uh, let me reword this in a way that's simpler. Uh, give the best of what you have away is what it, we're being asked to do here. This is what first fruits means. When the farmer goes out into the harvest and the first things he picks are the best of the crop, the thing he's most excited to take, the work he's done, the, hard, the thing he's done the hardest to get. And now you guys, you don't have, you don't have jobs right now. Uh, you don't, uh, this may, it may feel like this command doesn't particularly apply to you, but it does. Look at your lives and consider the things that you receive. Maybe some of you guys receive allowances. I'm not sure. TV or tech time, maybe that's a measured thing you receive. Your favorite games, your favorite books. What would it look like to find ways to give these things away? God doesn't ask you to give away everything, but he does ask you to give away the first fruits. Many people, many grown-ups, they, they tend to think that we can't start giving to the Lord until we have a lot, until we have much. But the opposite is true. You guys may remember there's a time where Pastor Glenn has said this from the front, uh, that uh, people who are the richest, at least in this country, tend to give the least percentage-wise of what they have. 
You, remember, you may remember the, the story of Jesus when he's in the temple and he sees a, a poor widow drop a copper coin into the offering basket of the temple. And he points out that she's given away more than anyone because she's given away all that she had. Those who are generous with a little, if you guys can practice being generous with a little now, God will prepare you to be generous one day with more when he gives you more. I'm going to mix this up before I do the get later part of this, these verses and look at the, put the goggles on here. What do these words say? What's implied here as we look at the negative? It implies that our natural way is to gather things for ourselves. We think we can hoard our way to safety or buy our way to happiness. And kids, isn't this, isn't this true? Like, have you guys ever felt like you're just one purchase, one gift, one game, one book, one whatever away from feeling truly and finally satisfied? Have you ever experienced that, then gotten that thing? Does that happiness really last? When I was your guys' age, I worked with my brother to buy Game Boys and collect Pokemon cards. Great things, wonderful things. Uh, but I do not stand before you today ultimately satisfied because I got those things. What does, this thing say, what does it say about life with the goggles? It says that the implied here is that we live in a world of scarcity. Scarcity means that in some way, there's just not enough. There's not enough time. There's not enough money. There's not enough space in your room, whatever it may be, which is why our natural way is to keep it all to ourselves and protect ourselves. Those are with the goggles. Okay, goggles off. What is the get later promise here about barns and vats? God says that if you guys, if we give the first fruits of what we have, our barns will be filled with plenty and our vats bursting with wine. What does this mean exactly? Does this mean that if we give away, uh, if we receive $20, give away $2, that we'll go out on the sidewalk and we'll find two $100 bills sitting there, placed there by God? Is that what this means? Of course not. But Jesus explains this to us. He says to those who are anxious, he says, um, not to be anxious to cast your anxieties on him because about what we'll wear or what we'll eat because God will take care of us. Like he takes care of the birds who don't have savings accounts or how he, he clothes the lilies of the field who don't spend hundreds of dollars at Target every month, yet they're still beautiful. Solomon is saying to his son, that if you focus first on getting yourself all that you want, you won't be satisfied. But if you give of your first fruits, God will still take care of you. We're getting there, guys. Verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. The do now here is to not hate the Lord's discipline or to get tired of his Reproof, and you guys know discipline is probably not a pleasant word for you. When I was your age, it's like that's it's, my parents disciplined me as a thought that it would make me want to roll my eyes. But it's an important concept. How does God discipline us? Our parents discipline us, you know, it, um, in ways that we're called to honor, um, but imperfectly. How does God discipline us though? Through suffering. Is the way the Bible says God disciplines us. Hard things that happen to us in our lives that aren't within our control. There will be times when relationships close to you guys, family or friends, can feel really hard. There will be times where people get sick or you get sick. 
God disciplines us through natural consequences for the things that we've done, hard things that happen to us in our lives because it is our fault. A day may come where you guys lose a friendship because of something you did or said. Or your parents may have to discipline you because of something you did or said. These are natural consequences. How else does God discipline us? Hard words from people that we love. I don't know if you guys heard this in the vows that you just took, but you vowed to receive input and correction from your brothers and sisters here. Sometimes God's love for us, his discipline for us, is in the words of someone that we really, someone saying things that we really don't want to hear but really need to hear. Let's put the negative goggles on. I think this is the last time we're putting them on. What is it? If you look at the negative way, what does it say? Our natural way is to hate God's discipline, the things I just listed. When God brings these things into our lives, suffering, natural consequences, hard words, we naturally think that we are alone or that God wants to destroy us. Sometimes when you're at your lowest, I'll tell you guys this now. We, we saw this when we studied the Psalms together. Sometimes it does really feel like God is trying to destroy us. This King David in the Psalms, he writes Psalms that way, right? Remember how he, there are times where he's angry, guilty, sad. God welcomes our honesty in those moments. And yet the get later, the promise here, guys, is that the Lord reproves, he disciplines those whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So Proverbs is saying here that when we suffer, when we feel consequences, when we're misunderstood, when people say hard words to us, it is not proof that God hates us, but it's proof that he loves us. How can that be? And there are people in this room who've suffered in all those ways far more than I have or than we have. How can receiving hard things from God be a sign that he loves us? This is going to be, this is really important, guys. I really want you to pay attention to this. We are, our purpose in life is to become like Christ. We are not going to become like Christ through getting what we want. But through God transforming you in the way that he chooses. We are not here. We are not called to have our desires fulfilled but to have our desires transformed. So let me summarize where all we've been. All these do now commandments. Just do this. Remember God's words. Love God and others all the time. Trust in the Lord with everything in your life. Be humble and turn away from evil. Give of your first fruits. Receive the Lord's discipline as love. Just do that. Of course I can't end the sermon there. Because there's one more thing I have to tell you guys. As you guys are like Jill Pohl at the beginning being sent out now into Narnia, into a confusing world, you're going to fail. And I don't say that because I don't believe in you guys. I really do, each and every one of you. There are ways you've already failed. You will, you'll fail again. We've failed. I've failed. You will make mistakes so big that you don't think they can ever be undone. You will hurt others more than you thought possible. You just will. We just will. But I have some amazing news. It's the best news in the entire world. All those do now commandments I just listed for you guys. Jesus performed them all perfectly for his entire life. 
And in his death on the cross, his perfect following of those do nows, he gives those to us, gives that obedience to us, and all the ways that we have failed are, are failing and will fail to do the do nows, he completely forgives us for. That was what Eloise's, the sign of Eloise's baptism, us being washed clean. By faith in Christ, we're now united with him. We are in Christ. His record is ours. And let me remind you guys of the get-laters. Your life will be filled with peace. You'll have good favor before God and others. God will make your path straight. God will heal your flesh and refresh your bones. God will provide you with all that you need. God's discipline will show you that he loves you like his own son. Because Jesus did all the do-nows perfectly, he will absolutely, no matter what, undoubtedly receive all of the get-laters. And because we are united with him by faith, we know that we absolutely will receive them too. If not in this life, then certainly in the life to come. And that's really good news. We're still, we still need to leave here. You guys still need to leave here and obey these do not now commands. It's not, did Jesus obey? Jesus did this, so now I can go do whatever I want. The rest of the Bible is all against that. But now we have the privilege. To, we get to do these do now commands. We don't have to do them alone. We get to do them in Christ. His very spirit is in us. We live this way because of Christ, in Christ, and for Christ, not just because God tells us to be good people. Do you guys remember Jill Pohl and Aslan? I've talked about them a few times uh, throughout the sermon. He gave her the signs. He said, don't forget, remember, remember, remember. As you begin to read through the book, you see she flubs every single one of the signs. She, can barely, she barely gets through, barely accomplishes her mission. At the end, she's before Aslan's presence again in the same country, and she's embarrassed, and she's sorry. And here's what, how, how it ends. I have come, said a deep voice behind them. It was Aslan. They turned and saw the lion himself, so bright and real and strong that everything else began to once, at once look pale and shadowy compared with him. And in less time than it takes to breathe, Jill forgot about what was in front of her and remembered only how she'd helped to muff nearly all the signs. And about the snappings and the quarrelings, she's... Jill's like, she's a vain character. She's always remarking on how Eustace is, in, is, is a weirdo. Like, she wants to be comfortable. She wanted to say, I'm sorry, but she could not speak. Then the lion drew towards them with his eyes and bent down and touched their pale faces and said, think of that no more. I will not always be scolding. You have done the work for which I sent you into Narnia. One day, guys, we will get to be in God's presence when we die or when Jesus returns. And living this way, as it says in Proverbs 3, on that day, it will be so worth it. And the ways that we have failed and flubbed the signs, Christ will forgive, forgive us and the Father will say to us, think of that no more. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Isn't that wonderful? So I charge you all to trust in the Lord with all your heart because he is good. 
and he will carry you through to the end. Do now because of Christ, in Christ, and for Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.